Thank you for joining us in Season 2 of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Good afternoon, Reverend Joel. Howdy, Rabbi Eric. How are you, buddy? I'm not usually so formal, but as I see you, you have your, your robe and collar on. What do you call that? Is that... A collar, yes, no robe, just my (laughs) clergy shirt and the collar. Um, We had a a graveside burial this morning, so for I'm sorry, it it would have been his 38th birthday, and oh my goodness, we laid his ashes into the ground with his mom and his sister and his brother and his nephew and some other nearby family. So um, it was, it was. it was okay. Well, I had penciled in Amazing Grace to sing at the end, and I said, you know what? How about we change that to Happy Birthday? And we sang Happy Birthday as our closing song to Tom. It today would have been his 38th birthday. Wow. Was this someone you knew? A member of the church here um, and a precious young man who he had some real sicknesses when he was very young, and they changed him. So he had some developmental differences, um, but he was a precious, good-hearted, hard-working fella and a lot of fun with a great sense of humor. Um, and I loved that this church loved him and found a way for him to be fully included in the life of the church. Mm. That, that's a nice thing to hear mm-hmm. and a nice sentiment to have when um, there are people, and I think we both have experienced this, where they don't necessarily have a community outside of the synagogue, outside of the church. And it's so beautiful to see congregants taking religious values to heart and inviting them into their house or for a meal or checking in on them and seeing how they're doing. Those things are are so moving. Yes, very much so. And how are you doing otherwise? It's been a few weeks. Uh, Yeah, it has. So you're sabbaticaling, and I was on vacation all last week. So uh, there's everybody will notice that we skipped a week without an episode, and that's mainly due to me being away on vacation. Eric on sabbatical has all the time in the world to do fun stuff, but me on vacation, (laughs) I didn't have any. (laughs) I don't know about all that, but... But Joel, you you know, you and I have not really touched base, but uh, I I have been disciplined. I've been writing. I'm not doing it on weekends, um, but during the week I have written. Well, on I have averaged at least one thousand words a day. I haven't necessarily written a thousand words a day, but I'm currently just below seventeen. Uh, I'm actually well ab- I, I think I have an extra day in me. I think today is the 15th day of sabbatical if you just count weekdays. And uh, I'm, it's, it's been fun, exciting, sometimes frustrating. Um, I'm still at the point where I have ideas, <laughs> which is good. So I, I'm, I'm still not really editing or organizing, although there's a loose, very loose structure. But uh, yeah, it's been, it's been wonderful, actually. What well, last time we we talked about she's and he's gender issues, and we uh, this time we're changing topics on y'all to something that we find problematic. Maybe you will too. Yeah, and I think it's problematic in a different way than others are problematic. I, I think most of the others that we're dealing with this season, as we're calling it, are things that conflict 
with our sense of morality or the God that we choose to believe in. This one is more about the practicality of following a certain dictum or law or precept and how feasible is it to really follow this in today's world and the society that we live in. So it's not necessarily a conflict of values as much it is of maybe lifestyle or habit. And so I think that's, uh, that's what we're going to get into. So yeah, so let's dive in. If I go first, you're going to have to stop me because the, the, the biggie in Judaism uh, is Shabbat. And I mean, th- I could go for honestly hours and hours. So says really the guy cool. on on sabbatical. On, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so seriously, interrupt me, ask me questions, or just plain, you know, Eric, you've spoken enough. Let me go. Uh, it's fine. But you know, Shabbat is is problematic because certainly, and it's it's even more problematic in our world in America where we as a society, define our success lots by work. I saw this funny Facebook post the other day, which, which again, had added meaning because I am on sabbatical, which it it was like uh, out-of-office reply in Europe, gone for the summer, email in September. (laughs) Out-of-office reply in America, had to go to the ER for kidney stones, but email me, I should be able to get back to you in a few hours. (laughs) Right, And so... We have a hard time of with not working or being still, which were some of the words I think you put into our show notes, Joel. And, you know, Shabbat, as explained and commanded in the Torah, is very different from the legalistic Shabbat that observant Jews follow today. So, you know, in the Torah, it's, uh, you know, God rests on the seventh day. And as we've used this expression before, imitatio day, as, as imitators of God, then we rest on Shabbat, the seventh day of the week. For Jews, that is Friday evening until Saturday evening. Now, what's interesting is the word rest has a very colloquial meaning. It's like, you know, I may take a nap after we do this podcast, although I'm not because I have errands to do. But, you know, we all know what rest is and we all know what work is. But from a Jewish definition, those are very different. And in fact, to observe Shabbat correctly entails a lot of work. It's just a different kind of work. And so um, our sages in the Talmud, and I, I promise I'm not going to go too far down this, but I do think it's important for, for folks to understand, determined that there are things you are and aren't allowed to do on Shabbat that correlate to the idea of resting. And what they decided is that there were 39 actions that the Israelites performed in constructing the tabernacle. So after the exodus from Egypt, God commands the building of essentially the first sanctuary. We call it the tabernacle. And the Israelites, you know, they built, they painted, they sculpted all of these things. It was determined that there were 39 different actions involved in building the temple. And those 39 actions are exactly what are prohibited on Shabbat. The challenge for our modern lives and for, you know, Jews listening to this episode, whether observant or not, this may, you know, you may have some resonance with this, is one of those 39 is lighting a fire. 
right? The, the Israelites had to light fires, to forge things, to be able to see. Now, I don't, I can't tell you the last time I personally lit a fire, maybe at summer camp years ago, although I probably had an Israeli do it, let's be honest. Um, but what has been determined is that when you start a car, that is akin to lighting a fire. When you turn a stove on, that is like lighting a fire. If you press a button in an elevator, you are lighting a fire. So all of those things are prohibited on Shabbat, thus causing huge practical concerns. And, and this is true even for the most observant, although in the, in their case, um, they've determined, they've made it a priority to follow those. And so they, that's why oftentimes, um, observant Orthodox Jews live amongst one another because it's much more easier to follow these laws. But they are hugely practically problematic. Now, one of the things we've done, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost done, in, <laughs> uh, and, then I, and then I will rest, <laughs> one of the things we've done in Reform Judaism is try to observe the letter, I'm sorry, the spirit of Shabbat as opposed to necessarily the letter of Shabbat. And so for some people, that means not doing email or, you know, not having meetings on Shabbat. It doesn't mean not actually working because things happen on there's you know, people are born and die on Shabbat, right? Like those things don't stop. But there are ways to separate it. Um, I may try and study Torah in a more meaningful way on Shabbat than I do other days of the week. Now, again, um, Colloquially, that could be described as work. But for me, it is a way to separate. I think of it more of a separation, a separation of Shabbat from the rest of the week. All of that is to say, and then, you know, I don't, happy to hear your thoughts or go completely uh, on your own tangent, Joel, um, that Shabbat is a day of rest philosophically. And I think idealistically makes sense to us, especially as things like meditation um, and, you know, breathing exercises and mental health become more and more in vogue in society. But the practicalities and the rituals of it are practically problematic, especially for a culture that's so busy looking at their calendar, put, making it full and moving on to the next thing. I did not realize that the prohibited actions of Sabbath were connected to temple construction, but that's that's lovely to realize that somewhere behind that, somebody made the decision, well, which ones? Well, how about the ones that we used to honor God? When we were building a place where we could go to honor God, those were the actions we needed to do to get that space ready, but now that space is ready we shouldn't do those actions anymore. That space is finished. So now we can just go to the space and Sabbath there, not go to the space and build it or prepare it. Um, and, and that connects with a lot of what the way Jesus talked about things, you know, um, he got in no more trouble. Nothing that he said or did got him in more trouble than Sabbath stuff. Um, they fussed at him about money and power, but they wanted to kill him when he broke Sabbath. Uh, there's a story where uh, he and his disciples were just walking by the water through some fields, and his disciples were um, 
plucking the heads of the grain off. And it's my understanding if you pluck the heads of grain and rub them in your hand and eat them, it's like trail mix. You know, it's it's sustenance and it's a snack and it's lovely. And the Pharisees saw it and, hey, you, your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath, uh, working, plucking the heads of grain. And Jesus's response is something like, oh my gosh, haven't you even read in the Torah that on the Sabbath, priests in the temple break the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? Now, it'd be interesting to see what you think he means by by that. But he, he I was hoping you would tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a story where um I think David was when he David enters the house of God and he ate the bread of the presence. And it's not lawful for him or his companions to do so. It's only lawful for the priests. But there are times where, haven't you read in the law, that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break Sabbath, and yet they're considered guiltless. Um, And what he says is, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here, meaning the grand community of God that cannot be bound in a specific place or by specific walls. And if you had known what this means, that God's saying, I desire mercy and sacrifice, you wouldn't condemn those who pluck grains of head on the Sabbath. And in the end, he's addressing so much of what you're talking about. He's saying it's not about the temple. It's about the grand community. It's not about, you know, the, oh, my gosh, he's working. He's plucking grain. It's that he's with his people. He's he's building community. He's not trying to build a prophet. He's not trying to build a, a personal household. He's not trying to get an errand done. He is existing as a a functioning, helpful member of a wider community. And uh, what you just said reminds me of of a very practical uh, example of this, which has to do with kids. So, you know, when, when can we get kids together to do events on weekends? And so there's lots of community events that are, you know, sorry to use the word again, community building, social action type of events, and they occur on Shabbat. And so there is a debate, you know, it's an ongoing debate, as almost everything is, on whether or not it's appropriate um, for the Jewish community to participate on Shabbat in these. And, you know, every synagogue and every rabbi has their own customs and rules with this. You know, for us at my congregation, we, we sometimes do have events like that on Shabbat. Um, you know, it, it's one for me, and this is just, you know, my personal opinion. I wouldn't necessarily have a youth group event to go see a movie on a Saturday, but to maybe see a movie about the Holocaust and then have a conversation with a Holocaust survivor or, you know, talking to me or other clergy about what the Holocaust means. But, you know, something that that has a, a explicitly religious purpose behind it other than, you know, it's fun, which there are places for, especially in youth group, without question. Um, so, there, you know, there are lines to be drawn. But when, you know, Saturday is, again, in America, it's one of the weekend days that it's it's difficult when that's when people are free and kind of want to do things. And of course, you know, traditionally speaking, you can't get in your car, you can't use electricity, all, all these things. Now, mo- most Reformed congregations, and I, I almost could say all, but, you know, there's, there's always one exception. You know, I, I can't think of a Reformed congregation where the majority of its parishioners or even any, you know, walk 
to the synagogue because it's Shabbat. They may walk because the weather's nice and they live close, but not necessarily because it is Shabbat and you don't drive. And um, as a corollary, when I was in Omaha, my previous congregation, the modern, we had a panel discussion um, amongst the various denominations and someone asked the modern Orthodox rabbi, how do you feel about the fact that people do drive to your shul to come to services on Friday? Shouldn't they walk? And he said, well, all I know is that they do walk through the front door. (laughs) Just love that. Uh, still on this, the problematic issue with a Sabbath is asking people to stop working, producing. And, Cre- right. And all Creating this- is the word I use because that's what God did. And so therefore, that's what we refrain from doing. Nice. And, and all of these, the 39 commandments that come out of the temple, that comes from one of the 10 commandments. I think it's the fourth one, you know, um, honor the Sabbath and, and keep it holy. And that comes from the creation story, the Genesis 1, not the Genesis 2-3, where God created everything in seven time periods that were called days. And on the seventh, even God rested. So all of these iterations from that original creation story are to say, hey, if one-seventh of our time God spent resting and admiring and enjoying the good, very good creation, then can't we rest, pause, be still, admire, enjoy the good, very good uh, gift of creation and life itself? And, And I think that's a beautiful reminder. When we miss that and dive into the wacko technicalities, I feel like we're blowing things up and we're the impracticalities aren't in the original reason for Sabbath to just take about one anything that you do. Say you've got seven hours or so that you spend working. Fine. Can you can you get one of those where you kind of rest or kind of play or you're not attached to the push and pull and grind and whatever you you pause and you play. Um, if we can remember that Sabbath mentality, that one-seventh rule kind of, it, it's a helpful way to spend your day. Um, the problematic text, it, what I'm trying to say at all this is the problem isn't the original text on the one-seventh of creation, even God rested. The problematic part is when the minutia from that and our productive culture slam into one another. Yes, I, I agree. I, I will tell you, this isn't necessarily a devil's advocate position as just as what we call in Judaism as devar acher, another thing, a different opinion, because there's always, there's never just two sides, right? There's always another opinion, another thought, something else to learn. So is people who do celebrate Shabbat to the letter, so to speak, with the minutia, 
often will say that it is not a burden, but a beautiful, holy thing. They'll absolutely admit sure. that it takes work and effort and preparation. I mean, just the meals alone. I mean, if, you, if you're a family, you have to think ahead through Saturday of how will meals get prepared, leaving on the stove. There's, there's things they call Shabbat stoves to this day where, you know, the, the, it goes on and off based on timers. And so they're not technically violating the law. There's something called, if you've, if anyone's ever been to Israel, over Shabbat, this may resonate. There's things called Shabbat elevators, where on Shabbat, because let, let's say you're you're either exhausted or you know an older person, or just you know you're not able to walk up 30 flights of stairs to your hotel room, and it's Friday night after Shabbat. You're you're expected to walk up 30 flights of stairs. Talk about like work, right? And so the sh- the elevator just stops at every floor. You don't. No one presses any buttons, thereby getting you know, bypasses the, the, the legality of, of lighting a fire. But all that is to say is, is that there are many people for whom those idiosyncratic specificities are exactly what makes Shabbat holy. And so I, as a reformed Jew that doesn't follow those, um, you know, I agree with you that the, the minutia can, not can sometimes, it does often take away from the larger meaning, but at the same point, um, those specific laws are in part what give the meaning too. So I, I, I do think there's a there's a give and take. Although I'll, I did I share my my story about Passover with my friend? Does that I don't know to you? Maybe. I, <laughs> of course, my 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 context there was very little, but it, this is a short story. But I will always remember it. I had a friend who became, um, and I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but it's called Baal Tshuva, which is basically someone who is Jewish. It's like a born-again Jew. And very often, someone who's Baal Tshuva, um, like they, it, it typically happens in younger people, like, you know, 18 to 25 range, right? And and what what happens is problematic in that they start observing all of the the mitzvot of Judaism, but they're faint, but not but their family's not there. And so they'll go home and criticize their parents for not keeping kosher or, you know, all these things. It causes some, re- causes some real problems. So anyway, this person I, I know fairly well uh, became a Baal Tshuva. And I celebrated Passover with him and his family in Florida. And his father was running the Seder. And it was a very typical, what I call a typical liberal Jewish Seder, you know, 45 minutes long, kind of sprinkling things here and there, nothing too long, right? And he kept, you know, like obsessively going back in the prayer book and saying, oh, we missed this, we missed that. And he would just kind of do all those pages quietly to himself. But in his rush to do all of it, quote unquote, correctly, he missed the entirety of the Seder. Mm -hmm. And so in, in that sense... I'm very much with you on the fact that we can lose the the theological or spiritual forest for the ritualistic trees. Mm-hmm. I may quote myself on that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Jesus has a, a line about that, and you can use this if it's helpful. It, when he's debating with these folks who are coming at him because they're micromanaging the minutia of what it means to honor Sabbath, he says, look – the Sabbath was made for humankind. Humankind wasn't made for the Sabbath. And the way I've always heard that is God did not make the Sabbath 
as a way for us to make God happy. So we don't have to honor all the little minutiae in order to make sure we're honoring God and fulfilling all of God's expectations of us. God gave us this wisdom and this invitation to pause one-seventh of the time because God knows us. God created us and knows we need to do that. And some of us will just not do that. We will just go and we won't even stop and we'll miss it and we'll run right through it. And, and we won't remember to pause and love and hug and thank and, and do the beautiful community building exercises. We'll just answer the next email or the next phone call or start the next project or start the next load of laundry, right? Right. We won't pause and slow it down. Um, so I, I love his way of saying it. The Sabbath is not a must do of humankind. It's a God invitation created to help humankind. What you just said, I think it is fantastic. And it, it relates to this prayer we have called the Via Hafta. It's a prayer that Jews say at almost every service. And the fir- it, the way I think of it is, is there's an overlying paragraph and then it gets – that is very general and then it goes to the specific. So the first paragraph or the first line is, you shall love Adonai your Lord with all your, with all your heart. And that's one of those very kind of, you know, feel-good, general, philosophical sayings. Um, but then in the paragraph below, it gets very specific as to how to do that. And I'm of the belief that that second paragraph, in its specificity, was for a certain place in time. It's up to us to design our own, quote, second paragraph. The first paragraph applies always, <laughs> but it's incumbent upon us to kind of figure out, okay, how do we – in, the, in 2021, in Athens, Georgia, how do we love God as mm-hmm. opposed to how did the authors of our prayer book show their love for God? Mm-hmm. Nice. There's one more story about the Sabbath where, where Jesus tries to remind them of the practical application of Sabbath versus the letter of the law um, interpretation of it. There's a man with a withered hand, and it's Sabbath, and Jesus sees him. And so it says that they all began to look at Jesus to see if he would break the Sabbath and cure or heal on the Sabbath. So he goes over to the man with a withered hand, and he says, let me ask everyone here a question. Is it lawful to harm or to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to kill or to give life on the Sabbath? And it says they were silent. And I think the reason they're silent is, well, the Sabbath doesn't address those kind of issues. It's not, the Sabbath isn't about that. We have other commands for that. The Sabbath is its own command and it speaks to different things. So then he says, okay, let me make it more practical. Um, Let's say one of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, do you leave it in the pit to drown or do you pull it out? And he then he goes over to the man with the withered hand and he said, I'm going to do the same. And he heals the man with the withered hand and they're 
furious with him because he broke Sabbath. Now, in the practicality, everybody in that room understands if my sheep falls in a pit on the Sabbath, I'm pulling it out. But he saw a human being in a pit and pulled that human being out and they criticized him for it. So Sabbath isn't made to pro- for an individual to honor God. It's made for God's creation to be honored. And God's creation includes the created. When we do gifts of love, or even service to one another. That can be Sabbath. And I think you could make a parallel uh, with integrity between that idea and the way Shabbat was constructed, pun intended, because, again, going back to those 39 prohibitions, those all have to do with the creation of the tabernacle. And what is the tabernacle except the very epitome of community. It's not about self. It's about communal responsibility. And so if we make Shabbat um, not about self, I, that certainly that, that fits with my version of Judaism. <laughs> it may not fit with nice. everyone else's. But uh, yeah, I think, I think it's good food for thought. And, and I also think, so this is an interesting thing, is in the last, I think, 10, 15 years, one of the things that have gotten Jews into Shabbat, so to speak, has been not the specific Jewish laws and prohibitions surrounding Shabbat, but rather the kind of spiritual idea of resting itself. And so that, you know, there are folks in my congregation for, and I've mentioned this before. Um, and hopefully this isn't a surprise as we're 22 or however many episodes in that, you know, there are people in my congregation that are not, a, that would not define themselves as observant Jews in the slightest and yet are at services almost every Friday. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that's not a disconnect. Um, nice. Because, yeah. And so, not only is that very possible, but uh, it, for me, that that highlights what it means to take community seriously, prayer. I mean, all, a lot of other topics we've talked about, certainly. Um, but the fact that they they get a nice feeling on of separating one day from the other six, whether it is Jewishly commanded or otherwise, I think it's in the human spirit to appreciate in a longer term the the sense of rest and 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 non-creation. When religious people say, you know, about themselves, oh, I'm not observant, but they're faithful, right? They show up. Um, I think they're trying to to differentiate themselves from the minutia where a lot of the perceived naivete or problematics are. But they're trying to honor the big picture. That's so beautiful. Right? The folks 100%. Who, oh, they get it, right? So the temple, it wasn't built to be holy. It was built to be the place where we embody holiness. We are we hold each other accountable to the grand community 
it, the individuals, and we honor everyone, and we we share, we bring a tithe, one tenth of our stuff, and those who are hungry always have enough. And it, it was designed to be the the uh, the place of accountability to what we agree our community is going to be like. And over time, we forget that. And it's not problematic that the temple is the place where we honor community. It's problematic where the temple is marble and it has to stay marble. It's gold-plated and it has to stay gold-plated. We forget that the reason for temple was to help remind us how to be community. And then it's naive. Then it's problematic. (laughs) Well, I'm laughing because uh, this may be true uh, for you and your experience, Joel, but um, it's often been said that Jews have an edifice complex in that (laughs) we, we, you know, we love building and renovating and nothing gets a community of Jews galvanized more than that. And look, I'm a part of that. We just renovated our sanctuary a few years ago. That's right. I was as eager... Yeah, I mean, I you was finally got all the crosses taken out. That, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> for listeners. You know, they're wow, they really are liberal. <gasps> the, the the way our sanctuary used to look, there there was this kind of uh, negative space in the in the um, trim of the ceiling, and that negative space could be interpreted as crosses. It had it vertical very, uh, wood pieces with a few smaller horizontal wood pieces across them all over. And it, I sat in it the first time and I looked up and I thought I was sitting under a thousand little crosses. <laughs> <laughs> One, even during our um Capital campaign, which again, I was as excited about as anyone else in the congregation. I, I gave a few sermons about that, you know, this is not the, this is not the goal. The goal isn't the building and the wonderful, and it is wonderful, air conditioning system and the lights and the sound <laughs> system and all the rest of it. The garden the goal, out back, yes. Right, yeah. You know, the goal is spiritual and meaningful worship that helps to change our lives. Now, I think it aids in that goal, and it's a beautiful aid in that goal, but let's not kid ourselves that it is a step on that process and not the end of that process, as you just said. And I, yes, the building, right. Um, or the trappings of the building or what the building symbolizes in, in its actual furnishings or whatever. And there will be people who will religiously show up faithfully into that space and they will begin to associate the space with the faith and and as opposed to the space was created to build a community my presence in the community is the source of my faith and people lose the um the connection to the communal aspect to the physical aspect where and, that community and, sometimes gathers. That's and and then we call it naive. If as long as we're remembering it's about the humans there, I think we're good. Je- Jesus talks about this stuff a lot when he's talking about money. And I think that well, may, that does not surprise me at all. Yeah. That may be another place where at least the Christian part of the message is perceived as naive. He says things like, "Look, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor and hang out with me." Um, Christians hear that and go, nope, (laughs) 
<laughs> not doing it. Um, now, he says that to a very rich young man who is quite confused as to the source of his wholeness and happiness because he is chasing the dollar bill and wondering why he's not happy yet. And he's also ridiculously religiously observant to every commandment of the law, and he's still not happy, and he's confused. Like, I'm perfectly observant to the letter, and I'm wealthy. Why am I not happy yet? (laughs) And Jesus says, drop it, dude. Like, Hang out with me. You'll see how we don't follow all the letters of the law, but boy, we fo- we build a community that follows the Spirit. And we're not as obsessed with having more than everybody on the planet. We're just obsessed with making sure everyone on the planet has enough. That reminds me, Joel, I think I have said this on this podcast before, but it, it's worth repeating, it, it, it is that a, a, a well-known rabbi came to my, my first year class in Israel and was talking about some of this stuff and said, you know, it's hypocritical for a rabbi to own more than three suits and talk about social justice. And then he said, that being said, I own more than three suits. Jill and I went on vacation last week, and there was a time when I was in my corporate world. Going on a vacation was fine. Like, I worked hard for this thing, and we've been saving up yeah. money, and we're out of here. And to unplug and not make any sales calls, to not go to any meetings, to not reply to any phone calls or emails, that was so normal. Now in the clergy world, I have two issues, practical issues with vacation. And, and one is, you know, there are people that I won't visit this week who need a visit. There are people I will not call this week who need a call. And... And I can't not remember them, even when I am choosing not to call them. And that has a little sting in me. So the the discipline as a pastor of taking a vacation is submission to God is God, not me. I, and I'm when I'm on, I'm on, and I work hard for my people. But I have to be humble enough. To say, I need to back up sometimes and trust God and the rest of the community has them. And it's okay. I don't have to go. And the other one is the money. Like if Jill and I got a sweet deal on a little house down at Rehoboth Beach because a very generous donor gave to our presbytery a semi-beach house about two blocks from the beach. And it's lovely, and they have a very affordable rate as opposed to all the other houses around it that's, that clergy can get access to. What a gift. So we paid that money. We went down there and walked to the beach. Those resources could have fed a lot of people. Those resources could have clothed or housed a lot of people. And we spent them on a little beach house for the week. And there's a little zinger, a little practical, naive zinger of, is it okay for me to spend these resources in this way? So, you know, you, you, as you know, I, you know, I have a, I have a, what I'll call a fair amount of toys and hobbies and, um, you know, especially since the birth of Aaron, well, in COVID, you know, traveling, we haven't, we haven't gone on any, you know, trips, but I've definitely spent money on me type things. And, 
you know, Emily and I have this kind of conversation often. And I think to some degree, having those doubts kind of, and, and I hope I'm not saying this just to make myself feel better. I, I, you know, I genuinely do believe this, that having those doubts and having those questions, it, it's when you're not having those questions that it's not okay, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one thing I do sometimes is if I spend X amount of dollars on, uh, you know, a piece of electronic music equipment, I'm going to take whatever that cost, I'm going to add a percentage to it. And then that percentage goes to a charity or to a needy congregant or to a, you know, a local um, organization, like that kind of thing. Or to get um, Jeff Bezos to the, to space. <laughs> I, so I, you know, I can't, you, you, you're giving me the, the, the tennis ball to lob over. So I have to hit it. The fact that he actually said all anyone who's ever bought anything on Amazon paid for this. Like you got, what's one thing to think it that he actually said that. Yep. Oh God. Yeah. In other words, you suckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look at me and look at you. Yeah. Yeah, y- y'all sit there and keep ordering from me while I take trips to the friggin' moon on your you know, on your I, nickel. I, I do think about this a lot, and you know, especially on sabbatical. I mean, I'm you know, I'm not the person, and, and every clergy has has their own rules, and I, I I'm guessing you and I may differ in this, Joel. You know, if if there's something that needs my attention, I would actually rather do it on my day off. It, it depending on what it is. Depends on what it is. Um, but, you know, for example, a very dear congregant had fairly major surgery this week. I, I wasn't not going to call or offer to visit because I'm, quote, on sabbatical. I, it just doesn't – that doesn't feel right to me, especially with the nature of our job where it's not – you know, there's no set hours. It's like I'm, I see the sabbatical as a gift that the congregation's giving me. I, I truly do. Not everyone has that opportunity. And yes, I'm taking it as a sabbatical and I'm not checking emails. But when something comes up, something comes up. We're now like everywhere else in America dealing with a a resurgence of COVID. And so, you know, we're rethinking our God, God help us all. You know, we're rethinking what we had previously spent dozens of hours on regarding our protocols for the high holidays. And that requires conversations and meetings that I need to be in. Yeah, you know, I can't that I can't let go to God or, or <laughs> right. And so, you know, I, I I tend to think of work, you know, some people call it work life work uh, work life balance. I call it life balance because I you know, I know that you and I love being clergy. We also love being fathers and video game players and soccer fans, you more than me on the soccer, but you know, and all these other things. And is there an appropriate balance. And I think if with integrity, you can say yes, then then, you know, the the rest is that minutia that we've been talking about. That was a real evolution for me from the corporate world to the pastoral world. Pastoral world brought with it some new issues, but there was a once upon a time work life balance. And now I I kind of lean with you. I, I love the way you're saying that. It is more about life balance. It's harder. Like this job <laughs> is the hardest job I've ever had. All the other jobs, it was way easier 
to clearly delineate start, stop, boundaries, yes, no's, I'm going, I'm not, I'm responsible, I'm not. This job, all of those things are kind of fuzzy. And and it's not based off of my own definition of where I am responsible or accountable or needed or whatever. It's based on other people's perceptions, and all those other people have different perceptions. <laughs> so, you know, a certain percentage of like, of course you don't come. You're on vacation. And then someone's like, oh, I wish he would have called. And others are like, I can't believe he didn't leave his vacation to come see me. Right? All of the aboves are out there. And and I have to find some way to to not be so naive as to not know they're, they're not and right. to um, feel balanced enough in the own my own way that I live it so that I can sleep at night and not um, drive myself nuts that I did too much or didn't do enough. Um, it, Jesus talks about this at one point. He, he says, um, and this is problematic, uh, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat. Don't worry about your body. Don't worry about your clothing, what you're going to wear. Life is so much more than food and clothing and all that stuff. Look at the ravens. Look at the flowers. Doesn't God clothe them and feed them beautifully? And God knows you and loves you. God is just just strive to build a beautiful community, God's kingdom, and you'll, everyone will have more than enough. And And I think that's probably true. Like everything that has been provided – there's more than enough for everybody. And when I look and see somebody who doesn't have enough, my assumption is that's because somebody else, maybe me, has too much. Mm. Well, eat some pork and shellfish and decide which part of those commands is problematic. Wait, what? <laughs> You, That's a like, practical problem, man. That you, I live in Maryland, and if you live in Maryland and can't eat shellfish, you are hosed. Oh, okay. So it is a practical well, is problem whole, around here. This is – I mean, this is where I actually think Judaism – I mean, we're going to get off a whole tangent here, but uh, I'll, I'll make this quick. This is where I think Judea, Judaism and Islam have a lot in common. I mean, people may know that the word Islam means submission. And, you know, every uh, – Religion has this idea of, you know, submitting to God. But those rules for, for those who follow them, most, I mean, people have their own reasons and they're not always the same 100%. But generally speaking, it's because that's what God wants. And how can me wanting a cheeseburger be more important than what God wants? Therefore, I will sublimate my will to follow God's will. See, I... My solution to that, to all these naive problematic texts or problematic, naive um, interpretations of text is God wants a grand community where all are loved and cared for and fed, where death ends and peace exists and everyone has enough. So if my sacrifice builds that kingdom, so be it. It's a bit naive to assume it's going to get here anytime soon, especially with the, you know, our current government and global politics. But it's I'm still going to do it. Not to make God happy so I get some reward. I'm going to do it because I love my brother and my sister, and they need it. 
and I'm willing to let go of some things so that they have them. And in so doing, God is pleased, but I'm not doing it to please God. And I'm not doing it to get God's approval on me. Um, I don't think I can get that. <laughs> I don't think I can get God's approval with my works. My works would never earn God's approval. I need just, I need God to forgive me and love me <laughs> despite my inability to build mm. God's kingdom. So in the submission of Islam or in the obedience of, uh, of Judaism, maybe, or in the, whatever you would want to call it for Christianity, the discipleship of Christianity, all of those practices, right, which are sometimes semi-naive and problematic, if we're doing them for selfish payback from God, we're probably upside down. If we're doing them to help build something that looks like holy community, yahoo. That's right. I, even if it does not sound naive, do it anyway. And, and let a little spark of kingdom come. So, uh, what, what, what was, it, was it Batman where it's like, next week, bat, you know, <laughs> yes. like, don't change the Bat channel. What was that? Yes. So, uh, next week, everybody, uh, the equity of God, fairness and equality is what we'll be talking about. Yeah, is is God fair? Spoiler alert. Not so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Real Religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today. And invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to realigenpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.